Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hi, Kim. How are you today? I'm well, Mark. How are you doing? Everything is great. Sadie, I'm very excited. I want to first say hello to everyone listening on Franklin Radio 102.9 FM. And those who found our podcast online, welcome. Today, Kim and I have two very special guests, Michelle and Sandy, who are the hosts of the Wines to Find podcast. They are wine enthusiasts who turned into wine podcasters. Hello, ladies. How are you today? <laughs> Welcome we are. To our show. Oh, thank you so much. We're glad to be here. We are. We're very excited. Thank you, uh, Mark and Kim, for inviting us. It's great to have you. And I must tell the listeners, Kim, how we found Michelle and, and Sandy. Uh, as everyone knows, we searched the internet for anything that's going on in the wine world. And I think it was Instagram. I found uh, you on Instagram, correct, Michelle? Yes, that's correct. And started listening to the podcast, and then we started communicating. And I tell you, I'm just in love with your format. I wish you could tell our listeners about the show. All right, we'll be happy to. So we um, started out in January of this year. We had three goals. We wanted to, we're sisters, so we wanted to spend time together. We wanted to grow our palates and kind of educate ourselves as we were doing that. We wanted, we committed to ourselves. We were going to taste two bottles of wine each week. Uh, two to, new bottles. Two brand new bottles we've never tried before and um, learn as much as we could about those wines as we were tasting them and then document it through the podcast. And in doing so, we wanted to step our toes into the wine community and contribute and also become part of it. So those were our three goals and it just kind of went kaboom, right, Sandy? It really did. We had just decided we wanted to develop our palate even further. Michelle and I had both been wine enthusiasts, gosh, since for the past 20, 25 years, yeah. probably since, you know, maybe drinking age. Probably. We're not going <laughs> to tell you how long ago that was. <laughs> and we said, you know, we just kind of got into a rut and we thought this would be a great opportunity to mm. um, step outside the box again. Yes. And you have great chemistry on the show. I love the interviews and how you go about reviewing the wine. And Kim and I always have a joke that we're partners in wine crime up here. <laughs> oh, that's fun. But you guys have great chemistry. And it's really nice that your sister's doing this together and you get along. Maybe the wine helps with that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wine always helps with that. <laughs> And just recently, I saw you were a top 30 wine podcast to find in, in 2020. Mm -hmm. We're we very were. proud of that. Yes, we are. I think we're like number 22 or something. So it was like, yay. Mm -hmm. Congratulations on that. And I think it was funny that you abbreviate your show WTF and we abbreviate ours WWW. So now we have this little thing going on here where... Uh, we're letter buddies, I guess. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's an alphabet in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, those good old acronyms. We had, um, it, it was a deliberate part that we decided wines to find would be WTF. And it just went well with, we help people take the WTF out of finding a great wine. And how do you go about, you, you've had some really great interviews on there. You've had some Spanish winemakers, some California winemakers. How do you go about finding 
the people to bring on the show? So we've connected with some folks out in Napa that are happy to connect us with other folks. It's It's been word of mouth. And we again, when we started out, it was just going to be the two of us with the occasional guest. And now I don't think we've done an episode with just the two of us in months. Um, I think we do have one planned for the last airing of this year's the last one. Just so to do it. Just, just the two of recap. us for us to do a wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so, and we find that we, again, we're looking at taping into February already. We have no shortage of guests. Everyone like wants to talk about wine with us. So. Yeah. It's always amazing. You can always find great topics in the wine world to talk about and people like yourselves to, to talk wine with. So I have to ask, Sandy likes Pinot Noir. Michelle said she does not in one of the first two episodes. Michelle, what's the problem with Pinot Noir? Well, so I I think that was wrong. I, I My perception was that I did not like Pinot Noir. And then quickly in, in taking this journey, I learned that I just had not had the right Pinot Noirs. There you go. And um, that I needed to know what style of Pinot Noir I liked. And that was been the most eye-opening for us is to be able to define what, what suits our palate so that when we walk into a store, we can describe what we're looking for. And so if I'm looking for a Pinot, I know things to say to the, that the right wine words to direct the sales associates who are the masters of their area to to help me find what I want. If you just walk in and go, I want a Pinot Noir, well, you're just going to get, you know, something that doesn't have any resonation with what you personally like, unless you can describe what you like. And so I've learned, I do like Pinot Noir. I just have to tell them what aspects of it that I like, and then they can direct me to the ones that might. Now she's team Pinot. That's right. And that's exactly why when we first found your podcast, I said to Kim, we have to have these women on the show because you think like we like to talk to our listeners about there's so much out there the more you taste the more you're going to find your style and kim and i have a joke right kim about saying we don't hate or we we have no styles we really like we like everything because a lot of times we're trying to sell it or we're trying to educate people on it so but kim doesn't like pinotage right kim my my kids were asking me what my most least favorite wine was because we talk about all the time about wines that are my favorite and then they know that there are things that i don't like too so i just thought that was a really cute way of phrasing it what is your most least favorite wine kids say the darndest things they do <laughs> so michelle and sandy i have to ask you during your podcast and, and a lot of times during your uh, podcast, you mentioned this sound person behind the scenes. Is this mm -hmm. a family member that's helping you out? It's my husband. He's here. He's listening now. See, I knew that. <laughs> the husbands never get the recognition. You know, you call him the sound guy or something, He's right? He's the WTF sound guy, and he has his see? own Instagram handle that oh, <laughs> has see? that. <laughs> nice. I noticed you also had another website about, was it wine stuff? No, there's a different website you had, no? That It's www.pickagreatwine.com that we bought both. And so now wines define points to pickagreatwine.com. When we've, it, one of those internet things, when you buy the domains, you have to wait a little bit. So we had to go ahead and we wanted to get up and running. So we did the Pick a Great Wine. Great, great website name. I like it. So Thank you. tell our listeners, first you, you rate wines one to five. And then you use four points when you're tasting the wines. Can you just tell our listeners how you do that? So when we're tasting, you can explain those in more depth. Sure. Um, our rating system is one to five corks. The first cork is where you find a sink because it's just simply not good. Um, second is you go ahead and finish the glass. You'll just be polite. To be, just to be polite. Mm -hmm. 
cork three is where you will finish your glass and maybe even have another glass because you kind of are a little intrigued by it. Four corks is where you will not only finish the glass, but then you'll also go seek out the bottle for you to have it another time. A five cork is where you will go and you will buy a whole case because you love it so much. Or commit to buying it repeatedly as a gift or, or for yourself. It goes into the high rotation, I right. call it. Don't you, say, <laughs> don't you call it the holy grail and it's like the case wine? Oh. Buy a case? Mm -hmm. We do. <laughs> Yeah, so when you yeah. have you had any guests on or or winemakers where you've had anything below a four? Yeah, oh, honest with them. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. So well, when we have the interview, we usually conduct the interview and talk with with the winemaker or the producer or whomever is on with us, and then we we disconnect the interview. And the last portion where we actually do the ratings is with them off. So it's not quite so high pressure with them sitting there. <laughs> but we are honest. And we're very clear that, and we say it a lot, that just because it doesn't suit our palate does not mean that it's not a good wine. It just doesn't suit our palate. And we're buying for ourselves. We're rating for ourselves. And so we'll even sometimes say this is an excellent representation of X varietal. However, I just don't happen to like this varietal. So it's getting a, a, a lesser rating from me because I'm just not going to go out and buy it again. That's very, very political. Well, um, well, it is the truth. For, nice. exam for example, I am typically not a big Chardonnay fan. I just have very rarely found a Chardonnay that I absolutely love. I can think of one mm -hmm. that I gave a five to, mm -hmm. but most of them are twos and threes. And can you also explain what the four points that you use as like qualifications for, for wines that you talk about? So we do, when we taste, we do a look slash see, we call it the same, but we look at it. We, we're looking at the color. We're describing it because we're on a podcast. We want our listeners to experience as much as they can what we're experiencing. So we walk through what we're seeing and then we swirl and, and smell. So we make sure we're getting the aromas of it. And then we taste the fun and part. then the fun mm -hmm. part and then the four is where we evaluate mm -hmm. and do you have a certain rating or price point that you'll only consider so when we first started out we when we were um our original goal was to be in the 10 to 30 dollar range and and that the wines would be always rated and then we um, like 90 points or above from Wine Spectator correct. or from any of the big time wine reviewers, Jeb Dunnick or um, mm -hmm. J James Suckling, something like that. Right. But then we connected with a bunch of folks that were more boutique and maybe their price was a little bit more than that. So we opened up the price range, but generally a lot of our wines are rated or are well received critically, not all, uh, but that does tend to be a designator for us when we're looking. And, and if we're going out and buying for ourselves, that's just something that at least you know it's been tasted and rated by someone. It, we're not going to not buy it now going forward as a result of it not having been rated, but that was at the beginning our defining point. Yeah, and a lot of the people that you have been interviewing, most of the time they're very small producers, so they probably have not submitted right to, to those publications for review. Most actually have. There are some who haven't, but a good number of them have. A couple of them, maybe they have a great private club already and they don't. And they there's don't, no need. There's no need to. Yeah. They're already selling everything they can and they really don't need the publicity. Mm -hmm. Well, you're doing a great job. We really appreciate it. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. 
You can find us every week on The Wonderful World of Wine and find us on Facebook also at The Wonderful World of Wine. Welcome back, everyone. This week's show, we have two guests with us today. We've got Sandy and Michelle from the podcast of Wines to Find, and we are talking about what uh, got them interested in doing a wine podcast and how they go about doing their recording and their tasting. So it's been really fun to hear about how someone else does a wine tasting portion of their show, because Mark, this isn't really something that we have done a whole lot of. We do a lot of tastings when we do classes, but we don't necessarily do a lot of tasting uh, when when it comes to our podcast. Yeah, we're doing a lot of tasting people are not seeing (laughs) (laughs) maybe Uh, a little too much tasting going on too much tasting we're always tasting there's Uh, never too much tasting i don't think so but and so our listeners know michelle and sandy are from the south as you can Mm -hmm. tell from their accents Uh, i'm sorry about your football team Uh, i know you're big fans down there we are yes they were disappointing this week um you know it's it's just it just comes with the territory does well we're we're pats fans and we're hurting too so yeah i was was gonna say our our football team's not doing so great these days either well you know you guys had a good run we took one of your guys that's why right (laughs) you got the chicken curse now (laughs) anyway so today we decided we're going to do the taste the same wine, all four of us, and we're going to talk about it. So we decided to pick a wine. Well, I decided, and I don't know if Kim was happy about it, guys, but I wanted to pick Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, the Vintage Reserve. And the reason I wanted to pick this is because it's it's like the most popular uh, number one selling Chardonnay in America. It has been for many years. Are you guys familiar with it? Yes. And so we're breaking our own rule, but that's okay because we're we're not on our podcast, but I actually have had this before. So I, 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 I know, have too. I know you don't like to try things that you've had before, but I wanted our listeners to hear your process of going through this and then get some kind of tips from you, what you, you think about and your whole overview of wine of, of this nature. Okay. So, so cheers to everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Virtual cheers. <laughs> so the first thing we would do would be to look at it. Um, and we, we generally have paper splayed all around us. So we've got white paper here. And we would just take a look at the color. To and it's see. very yellow. It's very, very yellow. It's, it is clear. Clear and very yellow. And it does have some, it, it's coming down the glass quickly, but it does have some depth to it on the glass. And then kind we... Of, kind of golden highlights too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the next thing we would do would be smell it. Definitely vanilla. Mm-hmm. Definitely oak. Floral. There is some flower there. I didn't anticipate the flower. I have not had this in, in a few years. And a little banana too. Maybe. I was thinking maybe some kind of fruit. I wasn't, I'm not there yet to know. Some sort of tropical, tropical yeah, fruit. Yeah, a little yeah, tropical I was, fruit. I was thinking tropical when you said banana. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Do we get to taste now? We do. Now we taste. <laughs> oh, I've, I've been finished. <gasps> oh, it's not as oaky as I anticipated. No. It does do have it. Do you usually spit when you taste it? Or, oh, you know? no. <laughs> no, okay. we, knew no we, we drink liked, it. <laughs> we knew we liked you guys. I always said that was the best thing about owning my own wine consulting company was that I was no longer, I no longer had a boss who told me that I had to spit all the wine out. <laughs> 
Um, so on, on the taste, it has a, the finish is interesting. It is. Um, it made me cough a little bit it there. It did. It almost has a bite to it. It, I, which I, again, I did not anticipate. This is actually much better than what I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. I'm, so I'm you, pleased. You've had it before. Do you think it tastes the same as before? that you remember it does not i remember but it's been it's been multiple years and i remember it being uh more buttery thicker on the tongue than what this is this has a softer mouth feel to it and a little more acidity it does it has some a lot more acid to it and i like more i like a more acidic mm -hmm. wine and typically that's what i find with chardonnays but i'm wondering if that pendulum is finally starting to shift away from that heavy buttery Oak, oaked Chardonnays to lighter, crisper, more tropical fruit, which is what this is starting to represent, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm so tickled that you had all those descriptive terms because that was exactly what I was thinking about this too. When I took my first sip of it, it was not what I remembered Kendall Jackson Chardonnay tasting like. I was completely blown away that there was that lack of the butteriness. I was expecting that, you know, creamy mouthfeel, and I wasn't really prepared for the amount of sort of tartness in the finish. You know, you were, you were saying that, you know, the finish was a little unusual for you, and I could feel it kind of in the back under your ears where you feel your salivary glands. Mm -hmm. and, and I totally felt that same exact thing that you were talking about. So someone mentioned the finish. Who, was that Michelle? Uh, yeah, I think I beat Sandy to the punch, but I think we were both experiencing it at the same time. What I think, think I was coughing as yeah. she was coughing. <laughs> do, do you think it's the oak that took you by surprise on the finish? No. No. Um, let me taste it again. I'm curious what you think, too, Kim, about the finish. I'm, I'm curious what the alcohol content is. It's always 13.5. It's been 13.5 okay. since 1982. Really? It seems yeah. to have more, and maybe it seems heavier on the alcohol. So I don't mm. know. It, it, um, I think that may be the tartness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, it's hitting like it's acidity, mm -hmm. but it could be that the weight that we're getting from it and that feeling at the end. Do you get like a little bit of bitterness? I do. It's almost, yeah. it's almost like, you know, how IPA is the craze right now. That was the first that I got is it's, it was bitter at the end. Yeah. So, and that could be the alcohol. Mm -hmm. So what I was wondering about this wine, yeah. this is one of those wines that we seem to always talk about as having a little bit of residual sugar. I don't necessarily know if this has or how much residual sugar this wine has in it, but I tasted it with some food earlier and it really does change when you have food with it. And I found that it was a little bit sweeter with, um, with a food component. It was sweeter with the food. It really was. I had um, I had shepherd's pie, so okay. I tasted it with the cream corn by itself because I tend to find that Chardonnay and corn are a fantastic combination, and it was it was tart with the cream corn, but with the entire dish, it actually had a little bit of sweetness to it. Hmm. So the text sheet does not say the residual sugar. It does say seven months French oak and American oak. Only four percent new French oak, six percent new American oak. But it mm. says it's barrel fermented and surly aged, 93%. So my question is, how do, how do they barrel ferment 3 million cases? <laughs> That's, That's a, a big lot of barrels. Cellar. A lot of barrels. <laughs> yeah. So on the finish, to me, I was getting, it, it's almost like when they use a fake oak on the finish. That's, it, it made that little bitterness to me. It wasn't a clean like oak to me on the finish. But I can see well, why. Well, just because is, it's barrel, barrel fermented doesn't mean that 
they're not using a gajillion neutral barrels and then are putting some other yeah. wood, com- yeah, putting some yeah. sort of wood component in there to get you that six percent, that four percent. In their tech note, uh, does say fruit forward, food friendly. It did get a ninety points by wine enthusiasts. It was uh, called a, a crowd pleaser, which this wine has been since it first came out in uh, nineteen eighty two. Very huge production. I'm curious down south. Michelle and Sandy, is it is a popular everyday wine down there? Yeah. It is mm-hmm. very much yeah. so. It, accessibility, it's definitely one of those that's accessible everywhere. And I think folks, when uh, the the best sellers tend to be, they're accessible. You can get them at the grocery store or somewhere easy. Yeah, good and, price point. Mm-hmm. I think this was what ten dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's I, I have to admit that's been one of my pet peeves. It's been ten dollars since nineteen eighty two. <laughs> and and I, I, they keep making more, right? They're sourcing from different areas, and it's just, it's always the same price. But on their website, it says suggested seventeen dollars. So that's ten dollars on sale then. It's it's just always ten dollars, Kim. I just don't understand. Yeah. I, I always say that to my salespeople. It's like, is anybody ever going to sell Kendall Jackson for more than ten dollars? I mean, everything else is going up. But Kendall Jackson stays the same. Well, it sounds like a lot of stores use it as like their loss leader. That's what I so was thinking. You put it up there for ten bucks, and it brings people into the store, and then they'll buy other things. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. They say this is certified California sustainable since since twenty twenty, but mm. they have no seal on it. I, I think that's maybe because it's a eighteen vintage, maybe. Could be. See that in the future. So, like, maybe it goes back because that's when it started. Because it takes them a while to be able to get that certification. Yeah, and it's something new, new for them. So, uh... but you might not be able to retroact it to the prior vintages, right? And we had heard where they were trying to get, well, at least in Sonoma, where I think they have what ninety nine percent of Sonoma is sustainable now. Yeah, it is good. A good trend that's going on out there. Anything else about the wine, you think? What would you uh, give it for your rating system? You know, I'm, I'm surprised that I would rate it. I would, I would definitely give it a three. I would definitely have another glass. Um, and I do like Chardonnay, so that, you know. I like the tropical element to it. I wouldn't go, going into fall, I might not would so much as it would be a great summer one with, the, with that, that you can really get that pineapple, I feel like, and that's kind of what's sticking around in my mouth. So that would be fun on a on a spring or summer day. And it's 70 degrees here, 75, so I could still do it. <laughs> so I'm giving it a three. I would go even three, maybe three and a half, because what I'm thinking is I w- would like to ha- be able to have a wine that I could buy in bulk for a party. Mm-hmm. So this would be a good bulk party wine for me, mm-hmm. not one that I personally would sit down and drink in, at for a an lot. evening meal. That it, it, That is just not... I'm just not going to go to a Chardonnay. It's just, that's like a three for me. But if I was doing a party, I knew a lot of people would be there. This, I would not feel bad serving. I think the end outcome would be like people would be pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. They would enjoy it. Yes. What about you, Kim? What'd you think? Have you had it in a while? I haven't had it in years, honestly. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, Whoever mentioned that the pendulum swinging for... um, styles of Chardonnay where for the longest time we were with these big buttery extracted oak styles of Chard. This does seem to be lighter than I remember it in the past. Like I said before, the lack of that buttery creaminess really took me by surprise. And the amount of sort of tart crisp 
acidity in there uh, was very pleasing. And I have to say, it really was pretty decent with food. I don't usually pair Chardonnay with food, like you were saying, but this was pretty good, I have to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised. <laughs> you can see why it, it's the number one selling Chardonnay yep. in America. And that's kind of the point I wanted to make to our listeners with, with everybody tasting this, is that it is very popular and it's made in a style that they know every year people are going to love this style, and and that's why it's so popular. So, well, what about you, Mark? What did you what what, yeah. what would you rate it? Well, I think it's tasting good. I just have a problem with with these type of wines. Uh, Kim knows I'm on a bandwagon about it. Have you guys? Are you familiar down there about like the ninety percent versus the ten percent mm. in the wine world? Like ninety percent of producers in. I, I've heard, yes, I know. I couldn't verbatim give it back to you, but. I mean, um, I mean this wine is just everywhere. And I mean, <laughs> if you walk in and you see this for ten ninety nine, twelve ninety nine, and there's some other guy next to it, most people reach for this. And I, you know, I just like to say, this is very nice wine. It tastes great, but you can find, you know, smaller producers for just, you know, a tad bit more that, you can support instead of this huge, huge company every year. That's kind of my bandwagon. I think Kim gets mad when I go on that route. No, not at all. I I definitely admire your um, you know, willingness to get behind the little guy. Cause I'm I'm kind of that way too. You know, I would rather support those smaller producers that are doing a little bit more of a you know, a handcrafted kind of paying attention to all the details sort of wine. I mean, I do that with my shopping and, you know, want to go to local farms and things like that up here. And I like to think that we uh, talk about that a bit on our show and how important it is that there are people, you know, individual farmers and individual winemakers, that this is their livelihood. And for some of these big brands, you don't know who those people are. But for some smaller brands, you know, there's literally just a family of people making this wine that shows up on your shelf and up, shows up on your dinner table. I mean, the Kendall Jackson Corporation is like the 13th largest, you know, American wine company there, there is. They're not the big five that we always talk about, but, but I mean, they're up there. And I think another one of my pet peeves, I'm sorry to, to bother you guys with all this, but it says it's handcrafted. It says it's uh, Vintner's Reserve, you know, the reserve trick on the label to kind of think, you know. That's all marketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the marketing is what gets most of the people. But I'm kind of, I, I think I'm kind of disappointed that I liked it. <laughs> I was going to say, you're the one who chose the wine, Mark. <laughs> no, maybe it's the company. You know, it's the company. That's Not so wine. you like it despite the fact that it's a Kendall Jackson. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, they make, great upper tier reserve level Chardonnays too, that it's more oak. Uh, and they're obviously putting more money into the oak, but it, they make good quality products. So I'm sorry. To, I guess I'm sorry to say it. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Michelle and Sandy, what, the last thing I have to ask you is what do you both consider to be a quality wine? You walk into a store, you're facing the wine wall. Like what are your buying tips that you would just just by visually looking quality and tips when you're shopping? Well, it's hard to determine quality when it's on the shelf. And actually that that was our the impetus for the show was literally when you walk into a store and there's a wall of wine, how on earth do you choose? And you really have to what we've determined for ourselves is you have to know yourself what you like. Um, like I said earlier, if you if you don't know what you like, you're going to walk in and you you could walk out with something that might be a great quality wine. It's just not your bag of tea. Mm -hmm. 
cup of tea. Um, so I, I know when I walk in, I'm looking for something specific, it's a region or, um, I do try to keep in a price point that I feel like is going to, uh, weed out maybe something that, uh, that might a lesser producer or, or be a mass produced because I, I do want something that's a little bit more boutique because I do want to support the little guy. So there's, there's certain things that I know I look for region, um, batch, how, how much was produced biodynamic or mm -hmm. if it's natural. I know those are a bunch of different buzzwords and sometimes they mean absolutely zero. But then again, sometimes they do indicate whether or not people have taken the time and effort as to how they have farmed. Mm -hmm. I like to look at that. I also use an couple of different apps mm -hmm. whenever I go into a store because I feel as if I can crowdsource the information and be able to get other consumers' opinions mm -hmm. that could then inform mine. So that is also a huge help. Do you think the average wine consumer cares about what's in the bottle? Kim and I go back and forth about this all the time. You know, do, do people, you know, what percentage of people you think really care that it's organic or? You know, I think, we it's, think it's moving that way. Yeah. Yeah. You think it's getting more, mm -hmm. there's more movement towards that? Just like back. 20 years ago, people who wanted to have organic food, you would, I mean, you know, I remember people. That wasn't a thing was, 20 It was years like, ago. you know, people would call them tree huggers and mm -hmm. everything. But there's a whole lot more tree huggers out there or granola eating people. It's kind well, of, and it's, it's not even that. You can't even put it because that. that those that, are, those are bad those analogies. Labels. Right. So what we have learned is that there's been a huge movement and acknowledged is there's been a huge movement about being knowledgeable about what your food sources are, where, they, where they're coming from and how they're made. And that movement, I think, is going to, we think, is going to move into the wine world. We do. And we actually have a inter very interesting episode coming we up do. about that in November on, on the is. show. It is. One of the guys that we interviewed, one a winemaker that just really was able to get in depth about about this the topic. process of growing and, and the and, and the some of the bad things that come from mass producing wines that maybe there's some of the elements that get put in that that you don't think about and that you maybe well, if you knew about you wouldn't and people are not only concerned with what they're putting in their body they're concerned mm -hmm. with how the um, crops are being farmed how, yeah well what's going in on them before mm -hmm. they yeah the so I think there I think and... there's just the overall heightened awareness and right. it's no longer cons it's no longer a fringe now I think it's becoming more mainstream right is what I was trying to say earlier mm -hmm. yeah great and before we end the show I just want you to tell our listeners how can they find your podcast or what social media you're on so they can find you so we are called Wines to Find. That is the name of our overarching. Um, and we are Wines to Find on, and you can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple, pretty much most major um, podcast forums we are found on Amazon, I believe we're on. Yep. Um, and then our social media, we are most active currently on Instagram. We are Wines to Find podcast and we post almost daily, some really great content that we put out there. We're on Facebook as Wines to Find, and we're on Twitter as Wines to Find. And we do have our own website, winestofind.com, that, that basically, if you wanted to go and look at show notes or find old episodes, you could link to us through that as well. And you're doing a great job. Every time I go on Google and just put in your show, I'm getting something different all the time. So you're being picked oh. up everywhere. So that's really great. Excellent. Very good. 
Well, thank you very much. So thank you for joining us today. You have a very enjoyable podcast. Um, I really love the idea of not only the tasting portion of it, but also the great interviews that you do. Really enjoyed listening to a lot of the different ones. I did like a bit from your earlier ones, and then I did a bit from your middle ones. So it's been really fun to listen as you've grown and developed your show. And uh, keep it up. And we're really happy to be partnering with you for some uh, some more episodes coming up. That's right. We're excited to have you guys on. In fact, we're going to be doing one shortly on um, sparkling wines. We're, we're glad to have you guys on. Yeah. Yep. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. Yep. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We are Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Leave us your comments and questions, and you can find past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. 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 Cheers.